Imagine that you're six years old. Your parents burst into your room with a big surprise. You're all going to Disney World. You're so excited. You can't wait. You ask, when can we go? When, 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 when? Mom has only a one-word answer for you. Soon. Soon? Well, that could mean tomorrow. So you begin to pack. You're deciding which pair of Mickey Mouse ears you should take, but in the back of your mind, you're a little troubled, a little worried. So you go to Dad and ask, So, uh, Dad, when are we going to Disney World? Dad says the same thing. Soon. Soon like tomorrow? Soon like next month? Just soon, he says. Well, you don't get to see the mouse the next day, or even the next month, or the next year. Periodically, your parents say, we promise you, we are going to Disney World. We're definitely going. But when you ask for specifics, they always reply the same way. Soon. 24 years pass. <laughs> After bugging your parents about the promised trip for a few years, you got tired of asking. Uh, they kept... They kept saying, soon, whenever you brought it up. So you chalk it up to a cruel joke. At 18, you move out, you go to college, you get a decent job, you marry, you have a couple of children. Then on your 30th birthday, your mom calls. Honey, she says, it's time to take that trip to Disney World. Mom, stop with the jokes. It wasn't funny then, and it isn't funny now. No joke. We're getting first-class tickets for all of you to fly down there. We're staying at the Four Seasons Resort. I've already called your boss and gotten you and your spouse a paid month off. The children's schoolwork is going to be taken care of. They'll be able to make up their schoolwork. It's going to be just fine. Don't bring any money. Don't bring any credit cards. Everything is paid for, okay? The limo arrives at your front door at 7 a.m. See you at the airport. Okay. Maybe now you can understand the despair and joy that Abraham and Sarah must have felt. At least something, a little something of it. The first time Abraham hears the promise, he's a relatively spry 75. He's living in Haran, in southern modern-day Turkey, when God tells him to pick up stakes and go to Canaan, where God will make him a great nation. By the time we get to chapter 17, a lot happens in those five chapters, from 12 to 17. They go to Egypt in a time of famine where... You know, Abraham thinks it's a good idea to pass off his wife as his sister in order to not get killed by the locals. Um, then he, he and his nephew Lot separate. Then he goes on a rescue mission to get, to, uh, get Lot back after he gets taken, uh, kidnapped. And after the successful rescue, he encounters a mysterious figure named Melchizedek who blesses him. The pro God restates the promise in chapter 15, followed by Abraham immediately fathering a child with Hagar. 
You know, because Abraham fathers Ishmael with Sarah's slave Hagar. Not long after that, Sarah drives Hagar and Ishmael away for the first time. This happens twice. So by chapter 17, a lot has happened. It's, it's really a tumultuous family. It's kind of dysfunctional, really. There's a lot, of, a lot of pain, a lot of drama, a lot of betrayal, really. But God does not give up on Abraham. God, rather, is committed to blessing Abraham and his family. This is such a contrast in God from before. Before God chose Abraham, God did a lot of cursing. In Genesis 3, after, after the first sin, the ground is cursed. Patriarchy is introduced. Men have to toil in the fields to get food. Women have terrible pain in childbirth. Cain has to wander the earth after killing his brother. And the forces of chaos blot out creation in the flood. Even after God makes a new covenant with Noah, Noah does his own cursing after this bizarre incident with his middle son involving wine and nudity. I'm not making this up. This is in Genesis chapter 9. And then God scatters the people of Babel. So there's all kinds of cursing going on in Genesis 3 to 11. But then when God meets Abraham, God chooses Abraham in chapter 12. It's as if God's relationship with humanity shifts. Instead of cursing and destroying, God shows us that God is a God of blessing. And not just to one family. God's going to use one family. One family is going to be the means of salvation, the means of blessing for everyone else. For everyone else. And God chooses a rather unlikely family with Abraham and Sarah. Very human family. Family you wouldn't think would have, wouldn't have much to offer. Paul has a, puts it in a brutal way. He was as good as dead when Isaac was born. But God was determined to make them the means of blessing for the world, and that extended to us. Paul put it well when he said we were spiritual children of Abraham and Sarah, grafted onto the family tree of salvation. An unlikely family gives rise to an unlikely an unlikely people of blessing from which comes an unlikely Christ. And it is through him we are ultimately blessed. We've got our trip to Disney World. Amen.